listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. If you're a rainmaker, then you live and work in a pressure-filled situation every single day. And you know what I think you need to do? You need to think of it like you're a high-performing athlete. Did you know that some of those same principles that high-performing athletes follow can apply to what you do every day as a rainmaker? In fact, we're talking about that. Our guest today is Professor Heidi K. Brown. We're talking about how to flourish in your job as a rainmaker. Heidi is a professor of law at Brooklyn Law School and a former construction litigator. Now, if you're not in the legal industry, definitely still keep listening because the concepts that she talks about apply to all different industries. Her recent book is called The Flourishing Lawyer, A Multidimensional Approach to Performance and Well-Being. Make sure you check out the links to the show notes. She talks about a survey that you can take, and I put that link in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening. I hope you get some great ideas from my interview with Heidi today. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special guest, Heidi K. Brown, Professor Heidi K. Brown, talking about her latest book, The Flourishing Lawyer, A Multidimensional Approach to Performance and Well-Being. Heidi, thanks for being on the show today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And I know I've gotten to know you pretty well over the years, and I follow you on social media, and I think you've got some great ideas. And even your previous books that we've talked about have been very helpful to people in the legal industry. And tell me about this new book. Tell me about the theme, and then I'm kind of curious about what was it that helped you or inspired you to write this book? The first two books, as you and I have spoken about before, I wrote a book called The Introverted Lawyer, and then a follow-up to that book called Untangling Fear in Lawyering. And then a year after the fear book came out, I enrolled myself. I got accepted into a positive psychology master's program at the University of Pennsylvania. So I started studying positive psychology and the whole concept of flourishing. And as I was studying the concept of flourishing and well-being in general, it doesn't just mean feeling good. It's not this happyology. People people kind of joke about positive psychology sounding like happyology, like we should just smile and be happy right, all the time. Right, right. It's not about that. It's actually about functioning well. And so all the principles I was learning there, I thought, you know, our profession, the legal profession, we need to learn how to flourish. We need to learn how to not just survive being a lawyer, but actually enjoy it and function well in it. Obviously, it's a hard profession. It's difficult. But I thought we could do, we could start to think about ways we could do a better job of helping all members of of our profession really thrive and flourish. You know, this is interesting. Thriving and flourishing in the legal industry. I don't think I've ever heard of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. And we should be aspiring towards that. So that's what the new book is about. That's great. And, And so what's been the reception to your book so far? It just came out about a month ago and so far so good. It's kind of takes a new, I think, kind of a fresh approach to well-being and lawyering. 
an athlete or performer model. I never thought of myself as an athlete growing up, but as an adult, or as a, you know, at the age that I am now, I've, I've put myself in kind of tough athletic situations. Like I take boxing lessons. I think you and I might've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. And I started kind of giving myself regard as an athlete. And that made me think about how we can do that for ourselves as lawyers or as, as professionals in the performance realm. And the more I started thinking about it and studying it, I started pondering how athletes and performers don't just focus on the one skill that brings them glory on the field or on the stage. They have people help them focus on multiple dimensions of of their fitness. Fitness can mean 20 different things. It doesn't just mean physical. And so I started researching that and I thought we really need to apply that to the law. And also I started pondering, you know, how we have to have character and fitness. We have to satisfy character and fitness evaluations to become members of bars. And I think every jurisdiction. And so the book dives into what does it mean to have character in in sort of through a well-being lens? And then how can we cultivate multiple dimensions of fitness. So I go into 10 different dimensions of what it really means to be fit for for lawyering. Yeah, that's great. And so I'd seen some of the listings of those. Tell me about some of those dimensions and what were some of the ones that you thought were the most surprising ones as you did your research on this? Well, I started some work had already been done for me. The, there was a national task force on lawyer well-being established in 2016. And in 2017, they issued a report on well-being and law, and they identified six dimensions. So I started with theirs, and I, I credit them for those six dimensions. And those are physical, emotional, social, spiritual, occupational, and intellectual. So I do a deep dive into those six, really pulling a lot of the learnings that I collated from my positive psychology courses. But then I really wanted to add four more. And I felt like so much of the work we do, really all of us, not just lawyers, but we have to be creative in problem solving. And I I know you're an artist <laughs> and I like to think of myself, you know, I'm a writer. So I, I like to cultivate and nurture my, my writer persona, my creative side. So I added a creative and artistic dimension. I added a moral and ethical dimension and a caring and caregiving dimension. And then finally, um, sort of a dimension of culture. What does it mean to have well-being in our, in our cultural pursuits? How can we become more culturally aware, exercise cultural humility? So I added those four. I have to tell you, the artistic one was kind of one of my most fun to, to dive into how by cultivating the artist in all of us, even if we're high-powered lawyers or executives, we all have a, an inner artist. And that was really the most fun chapter for me to write <laughs> and to research to get the science behind it, but also to write about. That's interesting. And I'm kind of curious, the one that really popped out to me as a surprising one was caregiving dimension. What do you mean by that? So I go into kind of a a deep dive into what does it mean to be a giver of care as as a counselor of law? Mm -hmm. And some people might think, oh, well, I practice corporate law. That doesn't really apply to me. You know, there's certain areas of the legal profession where caregiving really does apply, you know, certain areas of practice. But I started diving into that dimension of ourselves and realizing we can do a much better job of understanding how, what the difference is between like sympathy and empathy and compassion, how to solve difficult legal conflicts by having intelligent compassion, knowing when to act, when not to act, 
And then I do a whole section on trauma and vicarious trauma because a lot of lawyers, law students and lawyers and people working in law firms, you know, paralegals, legal support, court reporters. I've talked to a lot of court reporters. You know, we're, we're around a lot of trauma in the legal profession, whether it's because someone's a victim of something or has been harmed or even in a corporate environment has really gone through some tough situations, maybe bullying episodes. So that chapter really dives into starting off with sympathy, empathy, and compassion, understanding the differences among those, but then also how to take better care of ourselves, how to establish healthy but professional and smart boundaries in our law practice. And then I go into how to keep our eyes open for symptoms of trauma, not only in our clients and in people we work with, but also in ourselves. Well, this is really fascinating. I think this is an interesting kind of sub thought to what you've you've produced, because I think if people who are professionals, lawyers, especially senior level attorneys, especially, and yeah, I'm talking about you, partner, and your big (laughs) fancy law firm, if they could grow in that area of the caregiving dimension, I think that's going to solve a lot of the problems that's are faced in big law firms in terms of retention issues. You've got associates that don't feel understood. You don't know how to attract people to your firm and in terms of being able to connect with clients and really develop that relationship with clients where they tell you what their problems are. Now you can prescribe what the solutions are. What what do you think about that? I absolutely agree with you. And all of my work on well-being is not in any way to try to reduce the rigor, the intellectual rigor the substantive rigor of our profession. I was a construction litigator for almost two decades. I worked in big firm environments or boutique firm environments where our opposing counsel were in big firms as well. My clients were important people who uh, had a lot of money at stake. So I'm not trying to recommend we we coddle new attorneys or anything like that. It's a hard job and, and we sign up for that. But I do think if we look at it through the athlete and performer model, it doesn't make a person weak to a weak or a bad or a poor performer to say, hey, I'm struggling with some of the emotional aspects of being a lawyer. Can I get some help with that? It makes us better at our jobs. It'll make us more high performing if we sort of peel back the layers of, of stigma around having emotional struggles, some of the things we've already talked about, and really address this head on, have open conversations about it. Just like athletes, I've been, I wrote an article recently about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and how some of these elite athletes have said out loud, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. This doesn't mean I want to quit my job. It means I want some help. And, yeah. and I think as, as high-powered lawyers, people in charge of big law firms, if we start to look at one another like, like scholar athletes or scholar performers, it's okay for us to say out loud sometimes, hey, I really want to explore this dimension of myself so I can be better at my job, happier at my job, stay in my job much longer instead of feeling like it's sort of an all-or-nothing choice. Several times in my career, I thought because I was struggling... I was weak and I needed to take myself out of the game. And I wish I hadn't. I wish I had had, I wish I had been strong enough to say what was I was going through at the time, but also I didn't really know who to turn to for help. And so I hope that our profession now can change that and, and give ourselves regard. I like the word regard as scholar athletes, scholar performers, artists, and all of the above. Well, Heidi, I think your voice will definitely add to that. And I have seen that it has changed. You see a lot more posts on social media, even LinkedIn, the business social platform where people are talking about some of the things that you're talking about in your book. 
So I think it is very much mainstream in the corporate culture and in the law firm culture that people have to have this mental health and this mental fitness. Otherwise, it's going to impact productivity and all the other things as well. So I think your book is real timely. And let me ask you this. As you did your research, what do you think were some paradigms that you had that were challenged, some preconceived thoughts about mental health, about thriving, that you were really surprised in the course of your studying and research about this? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I I sort of started, when I started studying the positive psychology angle, my paradigms were challenged, I think, then. So a year before I started writing the book, Mm -hmm. I really didn't understand how really it all fits together, the body, the mind, even the spirit. If we, you know, I, I was surprised that um, the National Task Force mentions spiritual dimension as, as one of the six important well-being dimensions. So I'll start with that one. You know, yeah. I grew up as a minister's daughter. So you know, I had, sort of had, had to Richard's go along kid. with what my parents <laughs> felt was important. But you know, as an individual, I, I grew in a different direction. And so spiritual well-being just wasn't something I ever thought about, but I liked how the task force identified spiritual well-being as as sort of tying to meaning, finding meaning and and purpose. I don't know if they use those exact words, but meaning and purpose in our our professional lives. So that really led me down this path. And and my positive psychology studies, we dug into a lot of, of research about finding meaning. And I think that really helped me stop resisting the whole (laughs) spiritual realm of being a a healthy person. And I had to really dive into, you know, what, what helps me find meaning in my work? What helps me find a greater purpose in my work, especially when we hit those, those times when things just seem really frustrating or maybe against our principles. So I have a chapter on that spiritual dimension where the words meaning and purpose are really at the forefront and the focal point of, first of all, the scientific research about that, but then also how can we tap into what gives us meaning on a daily basis at home, but also in the office. That's great. That's great. And so when you went into the field of positive psychology recently, what was it that motivated you to, to pursue that? Was that a career ambition? Was it something you were just curious about? What were kind of your thoughts in that regard? Well, when I wrote the book, the first two books on well-being, The Introverted Lawyer and Untangling Fear and Lawyering, I didn't realize that a lot of the the scientific principles I was reading about and trying to incorporate without having a scientific background myself or a psychology background myself, a lot of the research I was incorporating came from positive psychologists. And so I'll just give you a couple examples. I read the book Flourish by Dr. Martin Seligman, and he's sort of one of the founding fathers of positive psychology, which started pretty recently. I mean, it's only been around for about 22, 23 years. So it's a new field of psychology that's focusing on what works in humans, not what's broken, not what's damaged, not what's injured, not what we need to fix, but what what actually we do well. And then I read an amazing, actually, I think I read this other book first, a book called Flow by another positive psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Oh, Um, good for you. I was wondering (laughs) if you're going to get it right. I practiced how to say his name because I absolutely love his work. And when I read (laughs) Csikszentmihalyi's book Flow, it was one of those books that just I don't want to be too uh, sappy, but it kind of changed my life because I realized when I was in flow, the state of flow as an attorney was when I was writing. It was never when I was trying to negotiate something or standing up in front of a, a jury or trying to 
explain something to a partner I was working for. It was when I could shut my office door and edit a brief and I just like the world would disappear. And I loved that work. But because I struggled a lot with the public speaking side of being a litigator and also just the intensity of you know, being a construction lawyer, I had very intense negotiations, mediations, depositions. Those weren't my high points or my strengths, but the writing, I could spend eight hours writing a brief and be, and, and it would be good. <laughs> and I'd be totally happy. Yeah. So she sent me how work made me realize that, yeah, I was different than a lot of my colleagues, but I brought something to the table. So then I did more research around the positive psychology field and realized that University of Pennsylvania really had has the preeminent program in the entire world. And I applied and I was thrilled when I got accepted. So that's great. That's <laughs> Thank great. You. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this is a great contribution that you've made to the legal industry. If you could look at the crisis, how do you think that the pandemic crisis has impacted people in terms of their mental health, in terms of not being able to flourish, do you think there have been some surprising benefits to this? What's your perspective on that? I do. I, I know everybody has had a different pandemic experience, but for a lot of individuals who have, have thrived being able to work from home, I'm particularly one of those people. I live alone, so I don't have a lot of the, the pressures that I know a lot of people who live with families or have children do. But for me, being an introvert too, I found that being able to work from home really fit my productivity. I've been studying this sports concept called ISOF, the individual zone of optimal functioning. I, I can talk a little bit more about that, but it's it was a term invented by a Russian sports psychologist, individual zone of optimal functioning. And when I was, I was reading about this concept, I realized as I was home in my apartment in Manhattan, surrounded by all my favorite possessions <laughs> with the light just right and the noise level just perfect and, you know, my comfortable clothes. And I produced my best work. And so I think that's been an eye-opening change for a lot of individuals, but hopefully also law firm managers who, you know, obviously I worked in three different law firms. Partners like to see people in the office I worked for one partner who wanted to see everybody at their desk with the lights on and the doors open. But a lot of us don't thrive under those particular circumstances. We can do it and we can perform and, and fulfill our professional obligations, sure. But I think the pandemic showed individuals how they can optimize their work environments and, and what things challenge our, us in productivity. Absolutely. I think it just really caused us to pause and take a closer look at individual working styles. You're absolutely right. And I'm kind of curious, what when you talk about the individual zone of optimal functioning, what does that mean exactly? Talk a little bit more about that. So I'm, I'm really fascinated about this topic, and I think we can be and should be applying it to lawyers and all professionals, honestly. So it's a concept that this sports psychologist, Dr. Yuri Hannon, coined back in the 60s and 70s. He was looking at individual athletes and studying how individual athletes have particular zones where positive and negative emotions can either enhance their performance or hinder their performance. And each athlete has a unique zone where a certain level of stimulation, you know, puts them in the prime place to perform, but then other environmental circumstances or teammates or certain types of positive or negative emotions can really take them out of that zone. And but the whole point in his research was to show it's not a one size fits all training model. It's an individual zone. 
And again, I read that and I thought, this is, this is what we should be talking about because, you know, I'm a law professor. <laughs> I've taught at three schools. We tend to, and I'm going to be very respectful towards legal education, but we tend to push this kind of one size fits all model of training. But our students, our law students, and who are the future lawyers in uh, the future generation of attorneys are individuals. And just like athletes, they have an, uh, a unique zone of optimal performance, whether it's in the classroom or in the courtroom or in the boardroom. And I think we all can be studying our own. We can learn how, and there's research that shows us how to do this, how to study our own eyes off, figure out when we toggle into it, figure out what pushes us out of it. And that's, I've been studying my own you know, environmental circumstances. When I, what and what environmental circumstances do I feel too stressed to perform at my peak? what environmental circumstances are just right. And also how I can control, for me personally, I, I take boxing lessons so I can understand how my stress level increases. I stop breathing, then I can't think. I don't remember anything I've learned. And my <laughs> boxing trainer helps me stay in it. <laughs> you know, don't quit. You're not going to have a heart attack here. Everything's fine. And, and you learn how to toggle into and out of that productive high performing zone instead of giving up or feeling like you're a failure or all the, you know, the slippery slope of things that hold us back. That's great, Heidi. And I think that it's interesting how in the legal world, I've seen a lot of firms are much more open to supporting people in this area. I spoke at the National Association of Law Placement Conference a few months ago. And in one of the sessions I went to as an attendee, the person sitting next to me was an executive coach employed by a big firm, a top 50 firm, where they have people on staff that are helping people to really understand how to be optimal and how they function. So I think the book that you wrote is timely. I think it's going to be a huge hit. Just that's what my gut tells me. <laughs> so, so tell me if we could kind of summarize what we've talked about, if there were three action steps people could take to really help them to start flourishing, what would those action steps be? I'm so excited that you asked this question. So one thing that really opened my eyes was taking this survey called the VIA Character Strength Survey. So the VIA stands for Values in Action, and they have a website, viacharacter.org. And what it does is you, you answer this 96-question thing. It's free, but it gives you a list of 24 character strengths. But most importantly, it tells you your top five. Great, and great. And we'll put that link on the show notes too. Yes, it's really cool. It's so insightful. And especially for law firm leaders, if you have your group do this, first of all, you recognize your own strengths, but it also tells you your lesser strengths. So it's really like for mine, I have perseverance, zest, curiosity, creativity, and love of learning as my signature strengths. Leadership and teamwork are my number 23, 24. <laughs> I literally lead a team for a living. So it doesn't mean that I'm <laughs> bad at that. It just means they don't energize, excite, and come easily for me. So I would right. recommend everybody do the VIA survey. Okay, great, great. Do that to discover more about yourself, but also to develop a language where you can talk about strengths with your team. Fantastic. Um, I, I also recommend people start to give yourself regard as a scholar athlete or scholar performer and kind of play around with this eyes off concept and pay attention to, to what's happening in your body, what's happening in the environment around you when you are performing at your peak, but then also when you feel sort of shoved out of your optimal zone. I think that gives people a lot of information as well. 
And then I'll just throw one more concept out there, one more sort of sports concept, but also positive psychology. There's another zone called eustress, and it's a zone between stress and distress called eustress. It's an E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. This term was coined by another psychologist, Hans Selye, back in the 50s, I think. This is another zone that we can all start paying attention to. Can we notice when a stressor is sort of catapulting us into distress or can we linger in eustress? E-U in Greek means good. So it's a good state of stress. So just like the eyes off zone, we can start to pay attention to stress, normal stressors. We're not going to eliminate stress from our life. And that's, right. we're not, we shouldn't because that's unrealistic, but we can start to pay attention to how we can, instead of leapfrogging into distress, linger in a state of eustress and practice what we've learned in our eyes off zone and hopefully become stronger, happier, more flourishing scholar athletes like we are meant to be. This is great, Heidi. This is great (laughs) substance that you've given us. And tell us about some of the other offerings that you have besides being a law school professor and an author. What are some other things you want our listeners to know about you and things that you can do that can help them? Thank you. Well, as everyone's heard, I, I love writing my books. I have three of them out now. They, they sort of work together or they can work independently. You can find me on Instagram. I love hearing from readers who maybe are experiencing struggles and need, need a pep talk or need a boost or need me to point them in, direct, in the direction of some of my work. I'm on Instagram at introverted lawyer. I'm on Twitter. I'm not that big on Twitter, but uh, I'm on Twitter as introvert lawyer. And then you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I've written a bunch of ABA journal articles that are much shorter than my books that delve into a lot of well-being topics. So if people just Google ABA journal and Heidi K. Brown, they'll find me. And then I'm starting, I'm in the process of getting certified as a, as a positive psychology coach. I'm in the preliminary stages of that, but if people need to talk to me one-on-one or would really like to just explore some of these topics, they, they can always reach out and they can, I do have a website, theintrovertedlawyer.com, or you can reach me through Brooklyn Law School. I'm on the website at Brooklyn Law School too, where I teach That's my great. wonderful legal writing students. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll make sure we put all those links on our show notes. So there's the people okay. listening you don't feel like you have to write that down, uh, check the show notes. You'll be able to connect with Heidi directly that way. And Heidi, thanks for being on the show. I'd love to have you back on here in the future. And I wish you all, all the success in the world for your new book. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to talk to you again. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.